Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Have you ever wondered what God is like, or what Jesus was all about, or how you get saved, and what getting saved means anyway? Well, if you've ever felt embarrassed to ask, please don't. I really want to help you understand our big, amazing God. And a great place to start is a little book that I wrote called The Basics. God, You, Jesus, and Faith. And here's more good news. If you're always on the go and don't have time to read, you can now listen to The Basics as a podcast series. Just search for The Basics with Pastor Mike Novotny wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Is there something wrong with me to explain why I have been single for my whole life? That was the exact question that came in recently during our church's question and answer Sunday. Something wrong with me that I've never been in this serious relationship, that I've never made it to take the vows of marriage? Wow. I, I don't know who asked it, but I can only imagine the emotion behind it. If you've ever been aching for a relationship, wanting to find someone, the companionship, the, the closeness, the intimacy, and you haven't been able to find it, you maybe have asked that question too. What's, what's wrong? Is it me? Is it them? Well, there's a lot of them, and yet none of them seems to like me. Is something wrong with me? Obviously, it's super personal and individual, but I, I'm going to answer that question in, I hope, a nuanced complex and biblical way. Let's start with this. Is it wrong to be single? The answer is absolutely not. Uh, Jesus, we learn in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, can sympathize with us because he is like us in every way, yet he did not sin, Hebrews four fifteen. He did not sin, and yet Jesus' relationship status was single his whole life. Was something wrong with him? Was he sinful, bad, flawed? Did he need to change? Never. And yet he was single. So we got to be careful. We live in a culture that loves to uh, idolize marriage. We see someone who's single and we try to set them up like everyone needs to be set up. You know, we see someone who's a little bit older, doesn't have any children. Oh, what happened? What's wrong? What? <laughs> I wonder if people did that to Jesus or the Apostle Paul. Like, oh, did you? What? Like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm content. I have God and I don't need that. So it's really important for us, especially in our culture, not to idolize marriage and family but to see it as good gifts and to see a content single life as a good gift too. But let's actually dive into the question. Is something wrong with you if you don't want to be single, but you still are? And the answer is maybe. Is it possible that a person won't want to commit to another person because of something about that person? You're thinking I'm insensitive right now, but isn't, isn't that true? Or if I want to be your friend, but there's just some things about me that make you not want to be my friend. You, you're not excited to see me again. You don't want to invite me to the party, not because you're trying to be cruel or mean, but just like, oh, Mike, the, like he never quite dominates conversations. He, he starts fights with people. Like, is it possible that there's a relational distance between two people because of something in one of the people? I think the answer would be for sure. Right? If we're needy or if we're clingy or if we're easily angered or if we're not good at commitment, if we're not self, I would say this. Sometimes we're single. We can't have a lasting relationship because we haven't addressed the things in ourselves that need to change. Now, as a pastor, <laughs> I'm even cringing as I say that because for some of you, that's not the answer you need to hear. But I would say for some of you, it is. 
It's really important to work on your character. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to have flaws and sins just like everyone else. But we want to do the best we can to be like Jesus. His character was so attractive. And so you need to work on your patience or your sobriety, on your anger, your selfishness, your fear, or your worry. I would say push yourself to that. Be as much like Jesus as you can. And and sometimes, even if you are working on you, people don't appreciate the things of God. It would be great if every guy would just look for the godliest girl around and ask her out. But because guys are sinful, sometimes they don't do that. Sometimes they look at the outward appearance, even though God looks at the heart. Sometimes they're deceived by fading beauty. Uh, as 1 Peter 3 says, instead of the unfading beauty of a, a gentle, quiet, and godly spirit, is something wrong with you because you're single? No, some, sometimes something is wrong with them. They don't got their values straight. <laughs> they don't care about church attendance and a prayer life. They just care about hips and waist and facial features and money and really ephemeral, temporary things. And so, put it all together, it's a complicated question. Is it wrong to be single? No, Jesus was, the Apostle Paul was. Is something maybe wrong if you're single and you don't want to be? Maybe. There might be parts of your character. You might need a really good friend to be straight with you and say, I, I think when you do this, it pushes people away. And maybe even though you're trying your hardest and following Jesus, people just don't appreciate Jesus and the people who follow him. So I don't want to answer this from a distance. Reach out to someone who loves you, who loves God, who will speak the truth to you and speak it in love. And you can find a great answer to that question. But at the end of it, remember this, whether you're single or married, dating or divorced, if you have God, you'll learn the secret of being content. You don't need to get married to have a fulfilling life. If you have Jesus, you have everything you need. What do you do when your grown kids have grown apart from God? Recently, our church had its annual Q&A Sunday and that question came in and uh, I can only imagine the emotion with which it was written. I have two daughters, they're still just starting the teen years, so I haven't hit that point yet where they're making their own choices about where to go on Sunday and if they're going to pray before meals, just part of our family. but. But I can only imagine if one of them said, I, I don't believe it. It's not a priority for me. And maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you're that mom or dad who wants your kids so desperately to believe what you believe and embrace the values that you embrace, but they don't, not anymore. And it breaks your heart. Maybe you see the little kids in church and you remember those days when it was so great to worship as a family. You didn't know it at the time. It was crazy, but to be together, worshiping God as a whole family. So what, what do you do? That's a complicated situation. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22 that if you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't turn from it. It's important for us to remember that's a proverb, which isn't a guaranteed promise, but just a probability. So that's the best chance we have to get kids to believe when they're older is to raise them to believe when they're younger, but it's not a guarantee. They can make their own choices and they can walk away. So if you're one of those parents and your son or daughter has walked away, what do you do? Well, I might suggest um, just a few things. First, figure out why. 
it's really hard when you want your kid to follow this path and they're here. But as, as best you can, with as much humility as you can, seek first to understand. The Bible says in James chapter 1, we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. Uh, I'm not sure if your child will be candid with you, but just ask them, you know, I, I know I raised you like this, but obviously you're not like this anymore. Can I ask what changed? I promise I'm not going to pounce. Right now, I'm, I'm not trying to change anything about you. I just want to understand what, what you think. Was it a teaching from the Bible? Was it a bad experience? Was it me? <laughs> Going to church on Sunday? Maybe you saw something in me during the rest of the week that pushed you away. How did you get here? Why are you here? I'd first want to understand as best I could the reason why. If I know the problem, I'm best equipped to solve it. Number two. I'd want to remind my child about the things that only Jesus can offer. You know, maybe I'd be candid if this was my kid. Like, I, I know it's difficult. When Jesus is the King and the Lord, when he gets the last word, when it's his truth and not our truth, when we follow him and sometimes have to deny ourselves, I know that's difficult. But here's, I just want to remind you why I love Jesus. Because he offers me forgiveness for everything. <laughs> He gives me a clean conscience because I know he's taken away my sin. He said that even though I die, I will not die if I believe in him. I have eternal life. I have heaven. I'm going to escape all of this suffering and drama. That's why I love Jesus. That's why I want you to believe in Jesus too. And sometimes kids walk away because, you know, church takes time or it's, it's costing me too much to believe these things. They're thinking about the weight of the cross, but they forget about the benefits of Jesus' cross. So as clearly as you can, get them back to the gospel. It's not just about being in church. We go to church because we're so grateful for Jesus. And finally, maybe this is a really odd thing to want for your kid, but I would, I would pray that this world disappoints them so deeply that they come back looking for something more. It wasn't the total point of Jesus' story in Luke 15, but if you've ever heard Jesus' classic tale of the prodigal son, you know, this kid who was raised by a great godly father, he walks away. He indulges in sinful, wild living, totally breaks his father's heart and violates his father's values. But do you remember what brings him back home? You know, we often focus on the celebration when he came home. You're the dad who's like, God, he's so full of mercy and forgiveness. He throws this party like he's crazy with his ability just like that to show mercy and be patient and love him. But what brought the kid back home? Here's what Jesus says. After the son had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. A famine, a job he hated, jealous of pigs because no one would help him out. That's what helped him come to his senses and come home to his father. So I would, I would pray this crazy prayer, God, whatever you have to do. If my son needs to lose his health and get cancer to realize how much he needs an answer to death, let it be cancer. 
if her career needs to fall apart, so she stops pursuing money and status and realizes there's only one rock solid place to find love and identity and a future in, in Jesus, let it fall apart. God, I want my child to come to their senses and come back to you to realize their sin and to cling to your love and your salvation. So whatever you need to do. I wish I could guarantee that all of our kids would end up in heaven. I, I can't. But this is our best path to understand where they are, to remind them of the beauty of Jesus and pray that moment comes where they change their mind, change their direction and come home and find a God whose arms are wide open to prodigal sons and daughters. What is hell and how is it different from heaven? Recently, our church had a question and answer Sunday, and that was one of the questions that came in. What exactly is hell and what makes it so distinct from going to heaven? Uh, I thought of something that uh, Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher from a while ago, said that whenever I think about hell or preach about hell, it, it, it makes me weep. If I can just say, well, these people go to hell because they love their sin and they rejected Jesus, that's what the Bible says. I've missed something profound. The thought of anyone, even my worst enemy in hell, it should make me weep. Hell in the Bible is the place where God isn't. The Bible calls it a darkness because God is light, a place of weeping because God is joy, a place of gnashing of teeth and frustration and anger because God is satisfaction and contentment. It's a place of, of loneliness, of darkness, of being outside because inside is the presence of God and all of his beauty. Sometimes people think like hell is the place where you get to sin and have a lot of fun. You get to party, right? Like the things we do on earth, but that's not true. No, even on this earth while you're sinning, sometimes during sin, you get to enjoy good feelings and good things, which are a little glimpse of God, but there is nothing good in hell. There's no pleasure in hell. There's no safety in hell. There's no relief in hell. There's no one who cares in hell. There's no compassion in hell. No one is patient or selfless in hell. No one listens in hell. No one loves God or loves you. That's what hell is. And the Bible makes this shocking claim that might be hard for you to believe, but it says, without someone to rescue you from hell, you will go to hell. What I have done might feel average for the human experience. Good days and bad days. I do the right thing, I do the wrong thing. I sin, I'm only human, but... God hates sin. He hates it so much he can't live in the presence of it. Hell, in the Bible, in the teachings of Jesus, he talked about it in his parables all the time. Some people make it, some people don't. Some go to heaven, some suffer the torments of hell. Do you believe it? Better said, do you believe him? Do you believe Jesus was right or do you think you're right when it comes to heaven and hell? without repentance and faith in the Savior who can deliver you from hell, you and everyone else will go there. But it's not too late. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. 
that you can repent of your sin, realize just how serious it is, deserving of hell itself, where there is nothing good. You can own the seriousness of that sin and come to Jesus, no matter how bad your sin is, and he will give you the gift of heaven. In the book of Revelation, we get a glimpse of being with God in heaven. It says they, the Christians, will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. God is there. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And heaven is the place where nothing bad happens. You don't worry in heaven. You don't get anxious in heaven. You're not triggered from your trauma in heaven. Your back doesn't hurt in heaven. You don't miss him when you're in heaven. You're not fearful for the future in heaven. Instead, you smile and you dance. You relax, you celebrate, you're loved, you're listened to, you're affirmed, you're accepted because God is there. Not just little glimpses of him, but God himself. You see his face, you see the delight in his eyes because Jesus has made you perfect in the sight of God. This is why we cling to Jesus. And sin seems fun. Maybe we don't want to repent. It's easier to live this way. No, 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 no. I want to go to heaven to be with God. And so I reject the things of this world. I'll deny myself to follow Jesus because he gives me God. He gives me heaven. There are two places to go when you die. At that very breath, you will go to one or the other, heaven or hell. Hell, there is no God. It's unthinkable. But in heaven, there is God in all of his love and fullness. Trust in Jesus. And I know where you'll go. Just like I know where I'm going. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish in hell, but shall have eternal life. Can a person who says they believe in Jesus but never goes to church still go to heaven? Someone recently asked me that question at our church's Q&A Sunday, and it sparked a memory in my mind. When I was a young pastor, I was teaching this teenager in our church's Bible class, and we got to the commandments and the Christian life. We talked about church and all the benefits and the things that the Bible said. She was an amazing student. She got all the answers right on my test. She knew what the Bible said about the importance of church and gathering together around God's word. Uh, but her mother didn't. Often for huge stretches, not just like a Sunday or two, but months upon months upon months, I wouldn't see this family. And when I tried to talk to mom about it, things got a bit emotional. She said that her faith was fine. I could see her daughter in the side who had just aced the test and maybe knew what God said about it. And this mom asked me the question, do you think, this was her quote, do you think I'm a worse Christian because I don't go to church? So if you had a Bible in your hand, how would you answer that mom's question? Well, church attendance is a little bit complicated, so forgive if this isn't a two-minute video. We know that there are a lot of people who would love to be in church but they can't. I can think of people in nursing homes who used to go to church and they miss it so much. I can think of people with severe disabilities or situations where they have to be at home. Like they would ache and love to be by our side and sing praises to Jesus with us, but they can't. And I wouldn't want any of you in that situation to feel guilty or bad. You love the house of God and the people of God, but just something in life has happened. 
And I also have lots of compassion for people who've been really hurt or they're really scared and they're watching at home and they haven't taken that step just yet. I know at our church, we have dozens and dozens of people who say, I've been watching for months at home. I grew up in church, had a really bad experience, but then someone sent me this link and I've been watching online and I love those stories. Some people have had really hard, sometimes sinful, sometimes traumatic experiences with church leaders. And so they're cautious about jumping in. I I would have tons of empathy and patience for that. But maybe for the sake of argument, let's let's think about that mom that I was talking about. It's not a disability. It's not an injury. It's not an experience. It's just, I'm, I'm fine. I, I don't need that. I don't need to go into a building to think that I'm close to God. I pray, I trust that Jesus forgave my sins. I don't go to church. Is that okay? Or as the questioner asks, can you believe something like that and still be a child of God who goes to heaven? Well, let's let this passage set the tone for us. Hebrews chapter 10. Um, The author of Hebrews is speaking to fellow Christians about the value of Jesus, that he gives us the presence of God. And then, In the middle of the chapter, he says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Verse 26, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What do we learn from those verses? Maybe the most obvious one is don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Apparently, 2,000 years ago, some people had the habit of not gathering together. They did their own thing spiritually. (laughs) And the author says, well, no, let's not do that. Even though some people do that, let's stay in touch with each other. And then the author gives us some reasons why. Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Right? So if you're just like watching at home, you're never connected to a spiritual community, I would say the point of Christianity is not just, I have faith in Jesus, I'm going to go to heaven. Another point of Christianity is good deeds, is loving people sharing your faith, being the most patient, kind, empathetic, courageous, compassionate, truthful, loving, forgiving person that there is. I have a hunch like me, like all of us, you need lots of help with that. You need encouragement to that, to keep trying, to keep going. You have blind spots. Someone's got to point out. You get discouraged and you need someone to put courage in you. Uh, You need someone to teach you, help you, bless you. But here's the thing. If it's just you, if you don't have a regular opportunity where the book is opened and we can encourage each other and spur each other on to put this into practice, well, then is your faith worse? Mm -hmm. Is my faith worse because you're not there? Mm -hmm. I think as a pastor, the impact that people like you make, I think of the people who get connected to Jesus and they say what impacted them wasn't the music or my sermon, it was the people who were kind to them. Listen, it's hard to be kind to a person in church when you're not in church. I think of the impact of our small group ministry where people encourage each other 
and call each other out and forgive each other in Jesus' name. How that is a catalyst moment to grow in love and good deeds. But if you're not gathering together with them, you can't do that. Now, maybe you don't start worshiping the devil and give up on Jesus and his cross, but there is something that is worse, that is inferior about such faith. I'll put it bluntly. If you have the ability to gather together with other people and you're not because it's inconvenient or it costs you time or energy, that's selfish. You're just thinking about you. You're not wisely thinking of you because you're naive that you need more help than you think to be like Jesus. Your faith is less and our faith is less. That's a selfish choice to make. And it's why throughout the Bible, God was always in favor of organized religion. Not corrupted religion, not man-made religion, but in Old Testament and New, through the prophets and the apostles, the churches of the New Testament letters, Jesus himself, never, never, never did God want someone to independently worship him, always in the community within the church. And maybe that's why there's this pretty serious threat. If you deliberately keep on sinning after you've received the knowledge of the truth, don't push God away. Don't push his word away and don't push his people away. Uh, some of you are watching this video and you've given up on church. Maybe someone sent you this video, your mom, your dad, your friend, your brother, because they, they miss you. They want you by their side. Let this be God's clear message to you. You can come home. We'd love to see you. God would open his arms with grace and forgiveness. It's time to come back and organize your faith, just like Jesus and the scriptures tell us to do. Why do we still feel guilty even after we repent? Uh, someone recently asked me that question at church. I repented of my sins, so why do I still feel so guilty? I'm super glad this person asked this question because I, I think most of the time we use the word guilt in our daily conversations in a way that's very different than the Bible tends to use the word guilt. We tend to talk about feeling guilty. I feel really guilty about this. I still feel guilty about this. Guilt is a feeling. And in the Bible, that, that sometimes can be true. We can talk about a guilty conscience. But very, very often in the Bible, guilt is not a feeling. It's a status. It's what a judge has declared about you. Are you innocent or are you guilty? So imagine you and I are sitting in a courtroom. Um, the judge comes and says, guilty on all charges. And you say, well, I don't feel guilty. And the judge says, well, I don't care how you feel. You are guilty <laughs> and you're going to jail, right? There's this status that you are. You've been declared guilty, whether you feel it or not. Or let's say the judge says not guilty and you go free. You don't have to put on the orange. You don't have to live behind bars. Well, what? However you feel about that, it doesn't really matter. Your status has been declared not guilty. The thing that I really, really, really love about the gospel is that it's not based on how you feel. It's a status that's been given you through Jesus. Even though that you and I should be declared guilty for all kinds of sins, God took all of those sins, put them on the shoulders of Jesus. Jesus took all of your personal sins, even the ones you feel terrible about, to the cross. 
He paid for not some, but all of them there. And now God says to every Christian, not guilty, justified. I took all of that condemnation, that guilty status away from you, and I put it on the shoulders of your Savior, Jesus Christ. So whether you feel it or not, this is what you are. I love that the Bible says this. I mean, come on, your feelings like mine are a roller coaster. Sometimes we feel forgiven. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we feel God's presence. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we feel the the joy of knowing we're going to be with Jesus forever, and oftentimes we don't. But the, the Bible, I love this, it isn't based on what you feel. It's based on the fact of your status, your identity through Jesus. So Psalm chapter 32, King David, uh, maybe you know the story, he commits adultery. She murders the husband of the woman he slept with. He finally comes out and confesses. Here's what God says. Uh, actually, David says, I acknowledge my sin to you, God. I did not cover up my iniquity. It's another word for sin. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Transgressions, another word for sin. And God, you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave the guilt. You gave me a new status. You called me your child. You said through the prophet Nathan, God is not done with you. You're not going to die. He offers forgiveness and salvation through the coming Messiah. So some of you uh, have a really tender conscience, especially some of you with big hearts or struggles with anxiety or depression. You feel so guilty, even though you do repent and you do believe you still feel so bad. I just want to say this to you. Uh, I know that's how you feel, but here's the fact. Your status in the eyes of God is saved, innocent, justified redeemed, holy, righteous, pure, delighted in, accepted, approved of, loved. You have Jesus. I hope you feel it. But even if you don't, you are not guilty. 